0: This morning we begin a new sermon series, Systematic Study Through the Book of 1 Peter. And at this time it is my intention that when we finish 1 Peter, we'll move directly into 2 Peter. But that is uh, going to be a couple of weeks down the road. Or maybe maybe a little more than a couple of weeks. Uh, I will confess to you as we begin uh, introducing new sermon series, is my least favorite kind of preaching. Uh, some someone has compared preaching to drilling for oil, which in Texas that's a good that's a good thing to think about, right? Um, and introducing a new book of the Scripture is a lot like setting up the rig. And uh, setting up the rig is necessary. It's something that we need to do. Uh, but I. I'm more excited about getting to the part where we're where we're drilling. <laughs> so, uh, so that's that's the thing. So this morning, this is uh, this is introductory uh, as we reintroduce ourselves to Peter, Simon Peter. In preparation for this series, I have become more and more enthusiastic. I, I just told you I'm not thrilled about the introductory stuff, but I, I've become more and more enthusiastic about what we will study together as we cover uh the, the topics and the sections of this great book in the coming weeks and months. I as I read through the book, I realize how many different topics are covered, and I think Pastor Brent just addressed some of that this morning in Sunday school. Uh, it's it's amazing How much of what Paul covered in his epistles, Peter also covers in this very brief letter. This is only five chapters, and there's so much that is covered. I I see so many things that we struggle with in our daily lives, and many of those things are addressed here in 1 Peter. So I'm very enthusiastic about what we'll we'll study together. Uh, If you've been here, you know that each Lord's Day service, we close with a benediction, a short verse of scripture that is a blessing or an encouragement or a challenge to us. Uh, So I decided I want to look through the book of first Peter and see if there might be a verse or two, maybe three that we could use as a benediction as we're in this study. And I found so many verses that would serve this purpose. So many verses that are just short encouragements or short challenges that what we're going to do, uh, what I've done in the past is try to use the same benediction for several weeks so that we become accustomed to it. Maybe we begin to recognize those words and and have those things. Well, we're not doing that through 1 Peter. We're going to have a different benediction every Lord's Day. So pay attention uh, because they're all really good, uh, the, the verses that we find here in this book. Today we are starting the study of First Peter, but we're not going to start in First Peter. So, some of you have already turned in your Bibles to First Peter. You're ready to go. If you're there, here's what we're going to cover from First Peter, chapter one, verse one: Peter, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's that's what we're going to look at today. Uh, we're going to uh, to to reintroduce, as I mentioned, reintroduce ourselves to the author of this book, to Peter. So I want to begin uh, and, and kind of meander our way to where we will focus our our attention in the scripture. We'll meander our way to John chapter 21. So you can turn there now or you can turn there later, put a bookmark in, we'll we'll get there. Uh, like the old preacher said, turn in your Bibles anywhere, I'll be along there in a minute. Well, John chapter 21, I'll be along there directly. Uh, To begin this series, we need to ask and answer some important questions. And these are important questions for any study of a book of the Bible. Any book, Old Testament, New Testament, no matter where, we need to ask certain questions. We ask, who wrote this book? To whom was it written? Under what circumstances was the book written written? We might ask about the themes that we find in the book. But today we're going to only deal with this first question. Who wrote this book? Who wrote this book? And you might think, well, we just read. It's really easy. And and I agree with you. But uh, for those who do not believe in the infallible, inerrant word of God, those who do not believe that you can take everything in the scripture at its face value, This question of authorship becomes tedious and difficult. Now, I believe even for those who try to answer the question of authorship of 1 Peter outside of the Bible, and that's okay to look outside for evidences of authorship. I believe the answer can come easily still that Peter authored this book. And that was... Uh, The widely held belief unanimously held up until the 1800s when we got too smart for our own good Uh, up to the 1800s. But but for those of us who believe that God's word is exactly that God's word and that we can take it from what it says, the answer of authorship comes very easily in the first few words of the book, Peter the apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. But at the beginning of John's gospel, there was a follower of John the Baptist named Andrew, and Andrew met Jesus. Jesus came by, John pointed out the Savior, the Messiah, and Andrew came to know Jesus and came to know that he was the Messiah. And then Andrew went straight away to his brother, And said, we have found the Messiah. We have found the Messiah. And his brother was Simon Peter. And and this interaction with Andrew and his brother. We have found the Messiah is insightful. It tells us something about these men. And it's the first thing that we'll note as we are developing a, a bio, if you will, of Simon Peter. We learn here. That Peter and his brother were students of scripture and they were looking for the Messiah. Now, as I say, they were students of scripture. Some of you may have heard that Peter was unlearned, that he was an unlearned man. Uh, and, And it is true. That Peter was not a student of Gamaliel's like, like Paul was. Peter was not uh, a student of one of the, uh, the high class rabbis. He didn't have that sort of education. But Peter and his brother Andrew were not ignorant men. They were men who, who were bilingual, who read the scripture, who were looking for the Messiah. And Andrew comes and says... We have found him. We have found the Messiah. So this is when we are first introduced to Peter way back in the beginning of John's gospel. And as we work through who Peter is, we draw from all four of the gospels to build our bio. The next time we find Peter is in Luke five and he's fishing. Peter and Andrew, his brother, were professional commercial fishermen. So when we think about fishing, uh, if you're like me, I've fished, but it's been recreational Uh, and it's it's an enjoyment, not a work thing. Uh, But that is not what it was for them. It was a vocation. It was commercial. It was professional. Uh, And in Luke five, we find Jesus teaching on the shores of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. And we read there. Listen, listen to what we find in Luke uh, chapter five. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake. But the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's. Now this is Simon Peter. And he asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began to teach the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered and said, Master we have worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. When they had done this, they closed a great quantity of fish so much that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat. Now those partners were the sons of Zebedee, James and John. Signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. This was a great catch of fish after a night of catching nothing. The text goes on to say that they were all amazed At this great catch of fish. And and we can certainly understand that. And it was there. That Jesus called them to follow him. And from now on. They would be fishers of men. So they left their boats. They left their business. Their career as fishermen. They left everything. The scripture tells us. And followed Jesus. Peter was called there. Left everything. And followed Jesus the Messiah. Peter was one of the twelve. One of the twelve disciples. One of the twelve apostles. But more than one of the twelve. Peter was the leader among the twelve. It's interesting that anytime we see the twelve disciples. The twelve apostles listed, named in the scripture. Peter's name comes first. Every time. So he was a leader among the 12. But there were also three. Among the 12. Who were the inner circle. And those are you. Some of you have already thought. And you already have it on your lips. Peter, James and John. Let me ta- let me ask you. Try that another way. James, John and Peter. James, Peter. It just doesn't. It doesn't work. Unless Peter's first. Peter, James and John. And his name is always first in the list. In Mark 14, Peter is the first to express his loyalty to Christ. Even if I have to die with you, I will not disown you. Peter's the first to make this. And then the text tells us, and then the others said the same thing. Peter is a leader. Now, we know that Peter did not keep this promise. And neither did the 11 others keep this promise. But we see Peter's leadership, that he is, uh, he is the first among equals. Peter is the one who made a great confession about Jesus. When Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? Peter answered, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. What a, what a wonderful answer. And Jesus went on to say. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my heavenly father. But, but we know. That in the same interaction. Where Jesus, where Peter says you are the Christ. In the same interaction. Peter rebukes Jesus. <laughs> Can you imagine. Just I, I have a hard time. Thinking about this. Looking to Jesus. And saying. Don't say that. Peter rebukes Jesus. which Jesus is speaking about his death. And Peter says, don't talk like that. That's not going to happen. We're going to make sure. Peter rebukes Jesus. So in the same short interaction, Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. And then get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> in the same short interaction. This is Peter. Peter was not... he was the first to say a foolish thing like no Jesus don't say that but he was also the first to make great statements like you are the Christ he was he was the first in the garden of Gethsemane to defend the Lord Jesus to draw his sword and to take a swing at Malchus uh, a swing that I'm convinced he was trying to cut off Malchus's head because he cut off his ear. I think there was a duck that was involved in that that, that was a miss, but, but he was trying to cut off his head. He was the first to come to the aid and to defend the Lord with his sword. Now, it was misguided, but you think about where you would have been. Would you have been running off? I probably would have been running away. And Peter's drawing his sword. Though Peter adamantly declared that he would never deny Jesus. At the lowest point in Jesus' trial, Peter did deny him. With cursing, he said, I don't even know him. I don't want to make light of what Peter did, but Peter was there to deny Jesus and the other 11 were not. They had run away. We often think of Peter and and perhaps we think of him as the worst of the disciples. But we shouldn't think in those terms. We really should think. Yeah, he was the first to say some some bad things, but he was also the first to say good things. And in many ways, Peter was the best of them. He was certainly a leader among the 12 disciples. After Peter denied Jesus three times, he wept bitterly, feeling guilt and remorse. Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried. But when the women reported that Jesus had risen from the dead, it was Peter and John who were the ones to sprint to the tomb. Now, when John writes about this in his gospel, I've always found it funny that John is very careful to tell us that he ran faster than Peter and got there first. I, that's just something that a man would say. Just by the way, um, Pastor Brent and I never do that when we talk about competitions and things like that. Do we? Well, maybe, I don't know. John talks about being the fastest, but when John got to the tomb, he stopped outside and Peter ran in past him. Peter was there. He was there first to go in. How how do you face Jesus? Who you yourself have said he's Christ the son of the living God, but then you strongly declared your allegiance to him and then denied him. And and if you look back into the text, you'll see that Jesus looked at Peter when he denied him. Jesus knows you denied him. And how do you come back from that? When in his darkest hours, you abandon him. What do you say? He's risen, but... Wow, look at what's happened. This is where we find Peter when we come to John chapter 21. Jesus is risen. But there's still some things between Jesus and Peter to be worked out. There's still some things that need to be said. and, And it's wonderful to me. Because I put myself in Peter's shoes and I don't know what to say. I don't know how to approach this. But Jesus doesn't wait for Peter. Jesus initiates this. What a wonderful thing. I'm sure that Peter, even in this moment, is sorrowful and regretful about his denial. He's carrying the guilt of it. And that's where we pick up with our reading in John chapter 21. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. Now, let me just say here, the Sea of Tiberias and the Sea of Galilee is the same body of water. You also find it in Luke listed as the Lake of Genesareth. These are all three, the same body of water. So this is the same body of water where Jesus got in the boat and went out and they had the same, same body of water, probably a different place. And Jesus manifested himself in this way. Verse two, Simon, Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Daniel of Canaan in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. Simon, Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Then they said to him, we'll also go with you. And they went out and got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. Some of you think I'm reading the other passage again, but no, it's the same. It's a different passage. But they went out that night. They caught nothing. Verse four. But when the day day was about to break. Jesus stood on the beach. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, children, you do not have any fish, do you? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right hand side of the boat. And you will find a catch. So they cast. And then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved, now that's John. John refers to himself in his gospel as the disciple whom Jesus loved. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about a uh, hundred yards away, dragging the net full of fish now here again we see Peter's leadership Peter says I'm going fishing and the rest say we'll go as well we'll come with you so we still see that Peter is a leader they fish all night and caught nothing I don't know how common this was I mean we see it there at the beginning we see it here at the end I don't know how common it is to go out and catch nothing to spend the whole night with no fish but it it does link these two stories together. And I will tell you that I, for one, am not that dedicated. If we go fishing, we haven't caught anything for a couple hours, I'm ready to go to the house. I'm just telling you that up front. But they fished all night, and now day is, it's, it's daylight. And they've caught nothing, they're still out there. As they're out on the water in the wee hours of the morning, someone comes up on the beach and talks to them. I think about the times, and it's been a while, but the times that I've been out on the lake in the wee hours of the morning when things are so calm, when things are so quiet, when the lake is like glass. There's a stillness there. And you can talk from one boat to another, or in this case, from the shore out to a boat. You can talk at a a calm, soft voice, and it carries across that water. And I wonder if that wasn't how this was. You, you haven't caught anything, have you? No, we haven't put your nets on the right-hand side of the boat. I wonder if that's not what it was. And, and when they hear, cast your net on the right-hand side of the boat, I wonder how many of them thought, especially Peter, James, and John, should have thought, that. that's familiar. <laughs> that should have had a familiar ring. And then John, the disciple whom the Lord loves, says, it is the Lord. Now, if it were me, I would think the fastest way to get to shore is stay in the boat. Peter, I don't know if he was a great swimmer all the time, but he was this day. He jumps in the water. And and we learn something here from Peter. He jumps in the water to get to Jesus. Remember, Peter has sinned. He has denied the Savior. He has abandoned him at his greatest hour of need. How many of us would feel like we need to avoid Jesus? If we see him, we need to turn and go the other way. We need to avoid embarrassment. We need to avoid whatever uncomfortable circumstances there may be because This this is just not going to be comfortable. Some of us feel like we need to have a period when we've sinned that we need to have a period of of like a punishment. Well, I can't can't pray. I I have sinned. I can't go to Christ. I have sinned. We feel like we need a time of isolation before we can come back into the presence of Jesus. But that, friend, is the wrong attitude That's the wrong idea. It's the wrong thing to do. When we have sinned, we don't need to avoid the Savior. We need to run to him. And that's what we see Peter do. He's jumping out of the boat to get to Jesus. So we learn from Peter as he jumps out of the boat, as he swims to shore, he gets back quicker than the other guys in the boat. Of course, they're dealing with a huge huge deal of Fish that they can't get in, that they're dragging. So in verse 9, when they got out on on the land, uh, they saw a charcoal fire laid and fish placed on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of large fish, I wonder, it was 153 fish, though there were many, the net was not torn. There's some things I find interesting we don't have time to address, and I don't even know if I know the answers. The first time there was a huge uh, catch of fish, and the nets were tearing. This time the nets didn't tear. That's in the hand of God. The other thing that I wonder is, Peter jumped out, swam to shore, and then now we find him, uh, you know, waiting back in, dragging this net in. Was he avoiding... Even though he knew, I kind of gifted Jesus. Was he avoiding? I don't, I don't know. I find it interesting. Verse 12, Jesus says to them, come have breakfast. And none of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifest to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Jesus did this great miracle for them. They catch nothing all night. Well, that was a, that would be a... A bummer way to end the, the night. But then they have 153 fish that Jesus has miraculously given them, uh, estimated to weigh uh, over 500 pounds. Uh, but when they get to shore, Jesus already has fish. These fish are clean, prepared, on the fire. We don't know where Jesus got the fish. I don't think he was out there fishing. Did he buy the fish? Did he create the fish out of nothing? I don't know where he got the fish, but whatever it was, here's the point. Jesus did not need their fish. Jesus didn't need their fish. Do you ever think... That Jesus needs what you bring to the table. I mean, we're reminded here really of the aseity of God. He needs nothing outside of Himself. He's, he's gracious to allow us to participate in what He is doing. He allows our efforts and our labors to be a part of kingdom work. He said to the disciples, Bring some of the fish that you have caught. That's just just gracious. Jesus is including their catch in this breakfast that he has prepared. But Jesus is not dependent on their contribution in any way. He's never dependent on our efforts. Jesus had fish cooked, ready on the fire. And there's bread. This is how God supplies the needs of his people. He never never says, I'll give you the bare minimum of what you need. He never does that. Fish for breakfast is a great blessing, but he's got side dishes. Fish and now there's bread. God never gives the bare minimum supply. He blesses us in such a way that we are left in amazement. At his goodness, at his loving kindness, at his generosity. Then the focus of the text turns back to Peter and we pick up in verse 15. When they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon bar Jonah, this is Simon, son of Jonah. Your Bible may say Simon, uh, son of John. Do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my lambs." He said to him again a second time, Simon Barjona, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon Barjona, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord You know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. Now this, this is complete restoration of Peter in ministry. Peter had denied Jesus three times and now three times Jesus asks Peter, Do you love me? And three times he He commissions, he he restores Peter to the task of feeding the flock, shepherding the sheep, shepherding God's people. Jesus is merciful and forgiving. He doesn't upbraid Peter. He doesn't scold him. Peter knows he's sinned. He's sorrowful sorrowful for his sin. And Jesus here restores Peter to service. And serve Peter does. Remember, as we've just finished our study of Acts, remember back at the beginning. How Peter is the leader of the apostles. It's Peter who preached on the day of Pentecost when thousands were converted. Remember the many sermons of Peter that are recorded in the pages of Acts showing that he is a faithful minister of the gospel. Remember the miracles that Peter performed. Remember that it was Peter. Peter, by the way, is known as the apostle to the Jews. And Paul is known as the apostle to the Gentiles. But it was Peter. The apostles to the Jews that first took the gospel to the Gentiles. Remember with Cornelius and he had that vision. And it was Peter who first took the gospel to the Gentiles. Peter was restored. And, and we see that in the beginning part of Acts. But even after Peter is restored, he's not perfect. He's, he's not perfect. And, and let me just say this in passing. He's not perfect taking the place of Jesus on earth as some would foolishly suppose Peter is no Pope remember that Peter and Paul had a conflict that was significant it was an important conflict and Peter was in the wrong in that ordeal Peter had catered to the Judaizers instead of standing up for the purity of the gospel And Paul corrected him. And there was a council. It was a a big deal. But Peter was corrected. And Peter repented of this error. So when we open our Bibles next week to the book of 1 Peter, we open to a section of God's word penned by a man with many experiences. He's learned many life lessons He writes from Rome in the early 60s of the first century. Peter has made many mistakes. He sinned numberless times. Way back when Jesus first got in that boat with Peter, the part that we didn't read is when Peter said, Go away from me. I am a sinful man. Peter knew his own sin. He is a sinful man. But Peter has over and over received grace and forgiveness. Peter has grown in his understanding of grace and forgiveness. So when he writes the epistle, he begins by saying, may grace be yours in the fullest measure. And then he closes the letter, five chapters later, uh, exhorting the readers to stand firm in the true grace of God. Grace becomes so important. It's difficult for me. Uh, I mean, you'll find people who point out the main theme of first Peter. It's difficult for me to find a single main theme. Because Peter covers the gamut of subjects in these five short chapters. He addresses here suffering, marriage relations, governmental authority, good works, holiness, Love for one another, service, leadership, salvation. But the letter begins and ends with grace. At the close of each message in this series, as we work through First Peter, I will remind us using Peter's words from chapter 5 to stand firm in the true grace of God. As we set out on this study, it's obvious that many of us will benefit from this careful survey of 1 Peter. And it may be tempting. Maybe not for maybe not for you, but maybe for the person sitting next to you. It may be tempting for us to think about those who sit around us and how much they need to hear this stuff. How much do these other people need to These truths. Well, I would like to help us by returning to John chapter 21 and picking up in verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus speaking to Peter. When you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hand and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. And now he said, of uh, this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And as uh, and when he had spoken this, he said to Peter, Follow me. Verse 20. Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following him, the one who had leaned back on his bosom at the supper, and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Verse 21: So Peter, seeing him, seeing John, said to Jesus, Lord, What about this man? Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So Jesus is addressing Peter and Peter asks, but what about John? What about John? Peter's more concerned that John's going to do his part. I don't want to be the only one here. What about John? What's he doing? He's more concerned about John than he is about what Jesus is saying to him. And the Lord corrects Peter and he says, if I may paraphrase, you let me worry about John. You follow me. So it might be easy as we study through 1 Peter to think, you know who needs this. Well, you need this and you need this. These other people need this. But what we have to do is we have to worry not about John or Mary, or Martha, or someone else. But when we hear the word of Christ, you follow His commands. When He points out sin, you repent. When He points out blessing, you give thanks. When He makes a promise, you believe. And when the word of God points us to the grace of God, You rejoice as a recipient of his covenant graces. You follow Jesus. Now from 1 Peter 5, chapter 12, I've written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would apply your word to our hearts. We pray for the coming of weeks and months. If you tarry your coming and allow us as we study this book, Lord, we believe that we ask in accordance to your will that you would sanctify us through your word. God, we pray for those. Who will be here, those who are our children, those who are our friends, our family, those who will come as visitors that we don't even know who will come and they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. They don't know the grace that we speak of. God, we pray that by your word and your spirit, that you would draw them to Christ, that you would take out a heart of stone, that you would replace it with a heart of flesh. God, we pray that you would bless our time in this book unite us in your word. We pray this in Christ's name for your kingdom's sake.